everyone, it's Sarah, although I might sound a little more stuffed up than usual. I'm so excited for you to hear from Joanna Knopf today. She is a licensed clinical social worker with a long list of certifications and experience that I won't even begin to try to cover here. But her passions that we cover today include working in trauma therapy, addiction, working with survivors of domestic violence and abuse. She is certified in EMDR and I love her explanation of it that you'll hear today. She also has her own personal story of domestic violence, abuse, and spiritual abuse. So I made sure to give her my very enthusiastic permission to share her personal and professional story. She's even written an incredible book for kids. So stick around to hear us talk about that near the end. Content warnings in today's episode include domestic violence and spiritual abuse. Side note, you'll hear me dive right in at the beginning because we were all over the place and I had to pick a starting point for you. One day I'll get better at formal introductions, but for now, you're going to get thrown right in. First, let's start with uh, your professional experience and what you do and what you feel you specialize in and what your passions are. Yeah, so my professional experience, I'm a a licensed clinical social worker. I've had my master's now for uh, since 2013. I've been in the field since 2011. I started out working uh, more with addiction. And I always said that that would be primarily what I would focus on in my career. But it's just funny how those things happen because while I do work with addiction, it seems that my main population has been people just like me, people who are survivors of domestic violence, of trauma, uh, trauma recovery, abuse recovery, spiritual trauma recovery. That's kind of been my main specialty recently. When we talked on the phone, you mentioned that you were around people, especially your previous relationship, people who did not encourage you going to school. Were you raised in a, I mean, everyone I think that knows, that's listened to this knows that I was raised in a conservative Christian community. So by asking you this, I'm not asking it as a negative thing, but I'm curious, were you raised in a conservative Christian church? I actually wasn't. This is really interesting. I did not grow up necessarily in church. I actually identified more as like a Wiccan. And when I was, you know, and I had a lot of trauma growing up, I have great, a great family, great parents, you know, no fault of, of anybody's, it's just life happens. So I did experience a lot of trauma and it led me down a path of making some pretty poor decisions in my teen years. I was pretty rebellious. I dated, I had some really unhealthy relationships, pretty abusive relationships in my teen years. And it, and it set me up for ultimately my my bigger story my domestic violence relationship i got married at 18 and i was married until it took me 5 years to get out so 23 and um in that marriage his his parents were pastors of a church they were more in the pentecostal apostolic realm and like i said i was a wiccan so i was like i was a big heathen <laughs> I was, I would thought, wait a minute. Yes. Very, very big cultural difference there. Huge culture difference. My, you know, my ex-husband, he wasn't necessarily a Christian either when we met. However, as the marriage progressed, it became one of those things that 
I was the one always going to go to hell because I was the Wiccan and I was, you know, the black sheep. And I think for him, he sometimes he would embrace the religion and his upbringing when it suited him and when he needed to make me feel bad about my own beliefs and about myself. And so he kind of used it as a way to control me. Well, his faith said uh, women shouldn't work or go to school. They should stay home and take care of kids. And I, that was not my belief. And I had it set in my mind that no matter what this relationship, it could take everything from me, but the one thing it will not take is what I'm meant to do. And that is to go to school and to help others. And I I stuck with that and I did not waver from that at all. Interesting because I was a Wiccan, but when I was pregnant with my son, I had a, a very big spiritual awakening and my faith shifted. I became a Christian despite the abusive place that I was in and the abusive church that I was in. I still had an encounter with God that completely changed my life. And I set on a journey to get to know God, um, the Christian God, but in the way that I see him as a loving God, a, a non-judging God, the, unlike the way that I was being brainwashed into believe that he's, he's this you know, mean God that's going to punish you if you mess up even a little bit. And if you don't do things exactly the way that this particular church said that it needed to be done. I feel like that could be a separate podcast episode for another day. <laughs> Sorry, That is incredible. No, don't. I was mind blown. I thought she didn't tell me this on the phone call. <laughs> I know, but that's, that's a major personal experience. So I'm glad you shared. Thank you. So what you do now, and I think I just, I'm like, how many questions do I pepper you with? What type of clients would you say you see the most right now? But you said survivors of domestic violence. That seems to be the people that God's bringing right now. I, like I said, I have a background in, in addiction and I do work in addiction right now. I'm the program manager, clinical director of an addiction treatment facility Um, However, my main specialty at the moment is trauma therapy. I'm EMDR certified and a consultant and trainer, and I, I love EMDR. It changed my life. I don't even know where I would be today if it weren't for EMDR for my own personal healing. It seems like the people that I work with the most are people just like me, you know, people who are survivors of domestic violence or spiritual traumas and just abuse recovery in general. And now for people that aren't aware, can you explain what EMDR is? Definitely. So EMDR is a, it's a trauma therapy. It can be used for other things as well, but basically it uses what we call bilateral stimulation. It's something that occurs when you're in REM sleep when the person's eyes are moving and it sounds so weird and it looks really weird, but I can't explain it any other way than it works. So try it. And it is evidence-based. I worked in a counseling office for a year uh-huh. and the results I heard about were incredible. But all I know is that a therapist would come down the hall and open up a cabinet and grab these two little things. Buzzies? That, yeah. 
Yeah. That their clients would have to hold in their hands. And I would always think, what are you doing in there? It is so strange when you start doing it. And even as a therapist, when I went through the training in the back of my mind, I was like, this is so dumb. There's no way this works. <laughs> I am really just doing this because I love my boss and he wants me to do it. But this is really silly. But the cool thing is that when you're in the training, you actually practice with each other, with other therapists, and you do real stuff. You do real therapy. And I mean, I just, I've been going through years of counseling therapy, spiritual therapy, you know, counseling, pastoral counseling. And I got more in this like one weekend of EMDR than I did in years of therapy. It's amazing. It's very rapid results. So what does it do? Sorry, if, if I hope you don't mind me asking because I'm, no. I'm fascinated by this and I know a lot of people will want to know more, especially if they're going to seek someone out who can provide that for them. But does it help you like pull out repressed memories? Yes and no. I tell people the goal isn't necessarily to remember repressed memories, but it does access trauma and trauma memories. And sometimes that can be repressed memories. Um, but it's it's also just any trauma memories and not just trauma memories. It, it accesses uh, memories in general through the use of the bilateral stimulation. And then as you're using the bilateral stimulation, it will actually reprocess those memories from um, the right side of the brain. It's almost like a filing cabinet. Your brain, it takes the memories from the emotional right side of the brain and short-term memory, and it literally just moves it. It moves it over to the left side of the brain, the logical long-term memory storage. And it kind of just files it away and makes sense of it. So that when you think about the memories, instead of that emotional charge, you just remember it. And you don't feel so dysregulated in your body. You don't feel the negative beliefs that you had associated with that memory as much. For an example, if you feel, you know, if it was a situation where you felt like you weren't safe, when you think about the memory, instead of feeling that fear, you might just remember the memory and then also think about how you got through it and how strong you were and more of the adaptive, the positive memories that are associated with the trauma. So that's kind of how that works. That's fascinating because I know and I I haven't had it, but just from my own experience, that makes a lot of sense because I just remember, even though not having, I didn't have an explanation for it, I knew in my head I wanted to get far enough away so that I could feel like I was just looking at something and I, Hmm. people listening can't see me, but I'm holding my hand in front of my face instead of feeling like I could still feel it. And I think, you know, I described to someone else, it feels like if the experience or if something hard was a ball of heat or like a sun it still felt hot. And so every time I looked at it or thought about it, it would burn. So I wanted it to get as far away, you know, so I could just look at it and observe if that makes sense. So that's what EMDR essentially helps with. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it can even help you look at it in a different light. And so instead of looking at that sun as like a potential danger that could burn you, you could actually look at it and see, oh, that's really beautiful. And it gives me light and it helps, you know, life grow. And so you look at it from a completely different perspective. Yeah. It's given me so much wisdom as far as like experiences goes and now I can help others or I've gained so much. Yeah. 
So what would you say to someone who is in a difficult situation? They're not sure where to turn or what to do next. What do you wish? What would you like for someone to know? I would say that trying to find professionals that understand these situations is incredibly difficult. And if you could find a few people that specialize in this area and go from there. So for an example, if you're looking for a therapist and, you know, you have a a story similar to mine, you've got, you know, the trauma, the spiritual trauma, the domestic violence, definitely look for professionals that specialize in those areas. Mm -hmm. If you have uh, a lot of trauma symptoms, I would definitely recommend that people research the different types of therapy. So a lot of people will seek out a therapist and they'll just, you know, call their insurance to see who's closest or who get, you know, whoever their insurance will pay for. That that might not be the best option because you might end up with a therapist who doesn't have any experience in what you're experiencing. And so if you can find a therapist that specializes in a particular type of therapy that you want to receive, like I've mentioned EMDR for an example, or if it's healing from an unhealthy relationship or a spiritual abuse dynamic, you could actually search out someone that has experience in just that. And you could do that through, maybe you could even, if you are, you know, what most people do is they just pull up. Google (laughs) or uh, psychology today and type in closest therapist to me, you can actually, especially if you're using psychology today, you can actually um, go to the filters and filter out people who have experience with domestic violence, abuse recovery, EMDR, and you can even put in your insurance type and see who it brings up. And then I would take it a step further and also research that particular person go to their website, maybe ask around, has anybody worked with this person before? Look at their reviews. I would really try to narrow it down to somebody that has the experience that you're looking for. And I say that across the board for all professionals. An example too is attorneys, especially family law attorneys. It is incredibly hard to find people experienced in topics like domestic violence, parental alienation, you know, all the things that we see in these situations of custody cases with survivors of abuse. We know that the abuse doesn't stop when you get out of the relationship, especially if you have kids. It will continue and the children will be used as another way to abuse you. And it is so important that you get people on your team that understand these dynamics. Mm. And how would you say someone could support, also protect and get support for their kids during that time as well? Because I do remember either moms or dads, whoever, you know, is in the situation where they're trying to protect their child, not knowing what to do for their kid and almost like feeling like they're kind of sending them in, you know, feeding them to the wolves and they have no choice, for lack of a better way to put it. I would definitely start with, again, someone that understands, a child therapist that understands uh, domestic violence, family conflict, parental alienation, and trauma. And again, 
narrow it down based on the types of therapy you think are best for the child. Um, so in my my example, I use Santray, EMDR, play therapy, uh, depending on the age, of course, what your child might need, but research those therapies as well and see what you think would be the best fit for the child and try to find someone that way. You mentioned earlier, and I'm going back a little bit, but I filed it away. I didn't want to forget because I think a lot of us don't even know if anybody is like me and they separate feelings from logic a little too effectively so we can get out of touch. You mentioned symptoms of trauma. I feel funny as a non-professional throwing around the word trauma, but in this context, it makes sense. What are some things that someone could be on the lookout for coming out of an abusive situation, whether that is a spiritual environment, you know, or the church community or relationship, but what would you say, and this might be a little too broad and I can make it more specific, are some symptoms or what would be a red flag where someone like me would think, oh, maybe I'm not as okay as I thought I was. Maybe I need to work through this with someone. Is it okay if I share some of my own personal symptoms? Absolutely. Okay. So I think to answer that, I I could answer it better with real examples. And so like in my situation, I was having a lot of nightmares, a general feeling of like I wasn't safe. I would have difficulties going out in public. Even just shopping would be really difficult because I was so watchful on guard, always waiting for danger especially in situations where you're just getting out. Um, stalking is a major danger that a lot of people experience. So for me, I would almost have a panic attack. I would panic every time I saw a vehicle that was like his vehicle or his mom's vehicle. I mean, I had a really hard time just being regulated in my own body without feeling that constant state of fear and hyper arousal. And also, you know, hyper arousal, that looks like being watchful on guard, flashbacks, easily startled. I was also experiencing a lot of what we call hypo arousal, which is where your actually your body, your nervous system is actually more like shutting down. So instead of being on edge, sometimes I would just be completely zoned out dissociated, like I wasn't there. If I experienced a trigger, I would be completely numb sometimes for for hours or, or days or just like in a daze, you know. Is that a survival or coping mechanism that kicks in? Yes, definitely. That dissociation and the, the hypervigilance, those are two of the biggest symptoms of trauma that we experience. And that is basically your body is just in this constant state of fight, flight, freeze. It can't get out of that trauma response. And something a lot of people don't understand as well is that that is really impactful on your body in a negative way. And so for me, I developed a lot of chronic illness. I have fibromyalgia, I have some autoimmune issues and immunodeficiency issues, migraines, irritable bowel, of course, the anxiety, and of course, you know, PTSD and depression. And like I said earlier, the ADHD that kind of came later. And they're finding that there's a link between ADHD later in life and trauma or complex PTSD. 
So something a lot of people don't realize is the negative effects that this constant state of being in survival mode can cause your body long-term. And how does someone get out of that? How does someone make sure like that would go, okay, well, I don't want this to be my reality. And I I don't want, you've mentioned a couple of different therapies or a couple of different modalities. I think uh, we've mostly touched on EMDR. What else would you offer someone or what else should someone look for or try to try to do for themselves? That's a great question. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. (laughs) I have tried so many things. Also, there's some somatic-based therapies like somatic experiencing, which can be really beneficial. And uh, EMDR also, it does get to, it accesses the trauma in the body and can reprocess it. And so a lot of times people will find a lot of relief from some of their body symptoms just by doing trauma therapies. However, and there, there's an excellent study on it, uh, the ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, that does link the trauma with health issues later in life. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't say for sure, but I think that once something will reach a disease level, it's kind of hard to reverse it. So like for me, I think there's no cure for fibromyalgia. We know that it comes from trauma. We know that it comes from a a dysregulated nervous system, but there's no cure for it. And so I've tried a lot of things through the years for the pain, for the fatigue, but there's no cure. So I really don't have an answer for once it reaches that disease level. I don't know that that can be reversed. But the good news is one thing that I found is that by getting help, you know, going through the trauma therapies and going to my doctors and my specialists and even naturopathic doctors, I have found ways, I think, to keep it from progressing my health issues, from progressing worse. I'm not entirely sure because I'm, you know, I'm still going on this journey, but I think everything that I've done in the past, you know, 10 years of healing, I think has hopefully helped my outcome longer, you know, later in life. (laughs) Brought you a long way. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, and I've had conversations with doctors and medical professionals that talk about, and I I follow a lot of people online as well, because it's just fascinating to me that, that talk about the effect on our hormones Mm -hmm. and our immune system and endocrine system, you know, everything is affected by that. And there are incredible ways that we can support those functions and do the best we can with where we're at Mm -hmm. as far as helping regulate everything and nutritionally supplements, fitness and things like that. But it's fascinating to me, which I mean, it makes sense. It's the way that, you know, we're designed, but the way that our minds and our body, everything is all connected. It's truly not separate. Yeah. So whatever's, you know, going on mentally is going on physically and vice versa. What would you say to someone who, I'll let you decide how much of your personal experience you want to share, but all this is kind of off the record for me. When you knew that you needed to leave your marriage, did you receive pushback from his parents as far as how biblical that was or wasn't? Yeah, we don't have to talk about your personal experience, but I am curious to hear what you would have to say without, if you don't want to go into detail to someone who is in that scenario and doesn't know what to do. 
I'll go into detail. I think now, if, now that I know that you're okay with me sharing that, I can totally do it. I think my hesitation in the beginning was mostly because I was afraid I was sharing to share too much about myself. Okay. No, so, this is I'll, that place. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I'll word my question more succinctly because I'm going to hopefully go back and clean this up. So it sounds like I can have a coherent conversation, but your past husband's parents, his dad, your father-in-law was a pastor. Yes. And so when, obviously, I mean, you guys are not together anymore. So when you knew you needed to leave, did you, were you met with pushback? And what was the, what, what were their so-called biblical perspectives on that? Like anybody in these situations, I did everything I could to make the marriage work. I tried everything possible. And of course, one of those things was go to my pastor's which was my in-laws, <laughs> I think in my mind, I thought they love me. I'm their daughter-in-law. So of course that they'll want to hear, they'll want to help. Plus they're my pastors. Like this is not me going to talk bad about their son. This is me begging for help. Like your son needs help. He's abusive and it's affecting our child. And I need help. He needs help. What do we do? And I was absolutely met with pushback. Actually, I, I'll be honest with you. One of the more traumatic things of my experience was, aside from the abuse, was the reaction that I got from my in-laws. And still to this day, the things that they'll say to my child, who's now, you know, he's a teenager now, he's 15, about me that that wasn't true. And... Wow. And that's a whole other story. But what, what happened was when I went to them for help, you know, the first question was, well, what did you do? Well, what did you do to create that fight or make him so mad? What did you do? And I'm like, well, quite frankly, there's nothing in the world I could have done that would have gotten me to deserve what I got. After that, I also heard, well, you know, if, if your family was in order, you wouldn't be having this issue. So in the church, in this particular church, not all churches, thankfully, it was the interpretation of the Bible was obviously very skewed in that the man is above the wife and the wife is supposed to submit to the husband no matter what that looks like. And so, you know, I was being told, are you submitting? Are you submitting to your husband? Are you trusting your husband? One of the words they used for me was controlling. They actually still say that to my son, which it, it's funny because I'm like one of the most chill people. <laughs> I was controlling. So he had no other choice but to respond the way that he did because I was controlling. No, me me trying to advocate for myself and my son is not is not controlling. And of course, as the abuse progressed, that didn't happen very much either because you get to this place where you're just docile and timid and you just shut down. And so I definitely wasn't controlling. The other response that I would get sometimes was, well, that's just how the guys are in this family. Um, some of them, not all of them. But at least he's not as bad as his uncle. His uncle used to throw plates against the wall whenever his wife would cook something she, he didn't like. And I'm like, well, this, that was pretty hmm. close to how he was, actually. My ex-husband, he was, that was one of the big abuse areas for us was 
if I did anything a little different than how he wanted, like it wasn't, the food wasn't cooked exactly right. You know, I would definitely get the wrath on that one. So it wasn't that far off. And the other thing I would hear a lot is from the women and not all the women, but some of the women was that if you just trust God, if you submit, keep praying for your husband, things will get better. You have women told you this? Yeah. Some of the women in the church. And even if you do want a divorce, you, you really can't because he hasn't cheated on you. And that was really given as the only form of leaving a marriage was adultery. And that's in a lot of churches. I'm just, I was just so shocked by that response because basically what they're saying is it's better if you go out and cheat on your spouse so you can leave and get in a safe situation according to God, then it would be um, for a woman to just get out of an unsafe situation. It's such a conveniently inadequate interpret. There are so many holes in that. It's incredible to me that in these arguments, a lot of the time, the interpretation is only focusing on the part of the scripture that says women are submit are to submit to their husbands. Well, that comes... I don't remember if it's directly after or before, it says that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So when does he get held accountable? Exactly. Or him not measuring up to that. Mm -hmm. And then if he's not, where in scripture does it say that the wife is to sacrifice her safety and well-being and lay it down at the feet of someone who does not care for her well-being, who has emotionally abandoned her? Yes. There is no context for that yet. Conveniently, that's never addressed. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart even more that other women are so, I think, used to this approach. And I don't know, brainwashing is the right word, but bought in that they will help in keeping someone like you in that position. Well, I find that, you know, if we can look at abuse, If we can narrow down the root cause of abuse to power and control, and if you haven't seen it, I I highly recommend that you look for uh, the Duluth Domestic Violence Power and Control Wheel, and it will um, show all the different aspects of abuse in a power and control dynamic, which is essentially what domestic violence is. But it's not just in relationships with a significant other. It can happen, those power and control dynamics can happen in any kind of relationship, in a friendship, employee-employer relationship, a mother-daughter, father-son, mother-son, you know, any of these types of relationships, in-laws, and uh, church, you know, those dynamics, that power and control where what the man says goes and there's no equality. And so the opposite of that power and control dynamic is equality, where we're equal, we're all submitted, like the Bible says, we're all submitted one to another. And that's what is biblical, not this man over all, you know, this man rules the women. That is not biblical. The other thing that we see when we, you know, if we're looking at scriptures that a lot of people don't talk about is I believe it's in Malachi where God says, it says God hates divorce. And that gets thrown around a lot in the church in terms of, oh, you can't leave 
an unsafe situation if there's not adultery. God hates divorce. That's what the scripture says. But if you continue to read that scripture, it talks about how God doesn't like for... Can I look it up real quick? Please do. I was thinking of doing the same thing. People like to cherry pick things and they forget if they look at the whole of God's character throughout the Bible, they'll see a pattern of how he responds and what his perspective is to those that harm others and how protective he is over his people. And there are scriptures. I mean, people sent me, people thankfully came out of the woodwork that sent me scriptures that I saved that were so clearly showing of his anger toward those that abuse and his jealousy over, you know, the ones that he loved, that he will leave the 99 to rescue the one. Mm-hmm. And when you look at everything in that context of who he is, and of course, yeah, he hates divorce. Well, no one loves it, mm-hmm. but it, he didn't say it can't happen. It's yes. because it's just, it's not his original plan. It's not his best for us. It's not his design to get mm-hmm. divorced, but it's also not his design for us to be with someone who is destroying us. Definitely. Yeah. People act like people just get divorced because they want to like, nonchalant. Yeah, I'm going to get divorced. No, that's not usually the case. It's a very serious thing that people, especially people of faith, quite frankly, they go through hell trying to not go down that path. They will literally do everything they can at the expense of themselves to make that marriage work because they think that that's what their faith wants. A lot of the time socially too, it's easier to just stay. Yeah. Especially if you have kids or your finances are wrapped up or you're dependent on that person financially. So imagine the burden that has been on that person to get to that point, to make that decision and to have that shut down. And you're so right, because in these power and control dynamics, like in my situation, you know, it was with my husband, but also, you know, his parents, there's things that are done that create dependencies that I, like in my situation that I had, I perceived that I had on them. Now, if I get out of this situation, I won't have a church. I won't have pastors. How's this going to affect my son? What if, you know, of course, your mind irrationally goes to so many different places when people threaten you. Oh, I'll take your kid. That was always a, you know, a threat and it actually did happen. Now my son is actually living with my ex-husband it's recent, just in the past couple of years since he's been a teenager. But that was said his entire life. As soon as you turn, you know, 12 or 13, you can move in with your dad. It was just constant brainwashing the entire, the entire time to try to keep me there. In this story, I'll, I'll share this story because it's just, it really demonstrates the the craziness of it and that that need to have that power and control, that sort of power struggle that in those dynamics, that person will put you in. Even if you're not even trying to be in any kind of power struggle, you're not trying to, you know, you're just trying to live your life in harmony. Right. <laughs> when we tried couples counseling, like everybody in these situations, you know, I gave ultimatums And of course, we would go through these cycles. There would be the honeymoon. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I I give you all these things. You're right. I'm terrible. I need Jesus or I need this or I need, you know, whatever it would be. And then that tension would build. 
and then the abuse would happen again. And we would continue to go through those cycles. And so eventually I gave an ultimatum. Okay, we have to do couples counseling. And this is something else a lot of people don't realize that in these situations, couples counseling can actually be dangerous. It's, I've heard this. Yeah, and, and so many people, even therapists will will try it. But you have to rule out power and control dynamics first because if you don't, you're just going to create the situation where anything that she says in those sessions will get used against her later. And so I definitely don't recommend couples counseling for domestic violence situations. But like in our situation, you know, we went to the couples counseling. Thankfully, this woman, she was so good. She could see what was happening, you know, right off the bat. So much so that she actually asked me to come back alone one time. And she explained domestic violence to me. And we did a safety plan. And at that time, I also had an amazing supervisor. Um, I was just getting into the field of social work. When I got out, I would have been in my bachelor's program of social work. And I was in my internship and my boss saw all the signs and, you know, he pulled me in his office too. And he gave me actually the power and control wheel. And I believe he saved my life that day. And also my couples therapist who reiterated like, yeah, we need a safety plan. You've got to have a plan to get out safely. I, again, I'm ADD, sorry, but I'll share all that to share this story. When we were in our couples counseling, one of the things that he said was, I don't believe that she should be in school. And because college was the thing, I was never going to give up. I'm not giving up college. Now, keep in mind, there was no legitimate reason for that. It wasn't like he was paying for it or it was taking too much time from our family or what, you know, it was nothing rational. It was just the woman needs to be home taking care of the kids in the house and cooking and cleaning. That was it. It's a sin if I don't do that. So I'm like, no, that is the one thing I will not give up on. God even wants me in college. This is my destiny and I need to get this degree. I need to help people. And he said that in the couples counseling session. And he said, I don't want her to get her master's degree. Because at that time I was in my bachelor's degree. And so in social work, you get your bachelor's and then you go into your master's. Usually you do that back to back. So I said, no, I'm getting my bachelor's and then I'm immediately going into the master's program. I had had our son in daycare. And again, I was paying for everything. You know, he wasn't paying for any of it. I actually had to get student loans. He told me that his money, he wasn't going to allow any dime of his money to go towards any of my schooling or day-to-day living or our son's daycare or anything, because that's how strongly he felt that, you know, it's a sin for me to be in school. And he said, okay, well, if she gets her master's degree, then I'm going to buy, I think at the time it was a motorcycle. Now I don't remember. And the reason I don't remember is because there were so many toys that he would buy in an attempt to keep us broke, to keep me there. So he would just buy, I mean, I can't even tell you, get four wheelers and boats. And I think at this time it was a motorcycle. He said he was going to go get, he's like, okay, well, if you, if you have to get your master's degree, then I'm going to go buy this motorcycle. 
And at that time, I was literally hiding money just to pay bills, just to survive like our household bills. I, I mean, I had to literally like stash away money. Luckily, he wasn't responsible with money, so he didn't, you know, didn't notice. But I had to stash away a little bit of money every time to like cover basic bills, you know, and then use my student loans to go to college and drive, you know, my gas money and, and all of that, my daycare expenses. And I had joined a program at the time. It was called AmeriCorps. And it's like a domesticated version of the Peace Corps. And it was an excellent opportunity because it would pay for some of my college. We would get stipends and then we would get education stipends. So we would work in our field while we're getting our degree. And instead of being like a paid employee, we would get education stipends and a living stipend. And it was it was small, but it was just the perfect opportunity for me. And so I did that. And it, it, it really helped me be able to stay in college and keep my son in daycare and be sufficient. And we had to do a once a year conference and like a service project thing that we would go do. And we would have to raise the money ourselves to be able to go do this. So I actually cleaned houses. I detailed some cars and I had to do those things too, so that I could raise the money to be able to go. And it just so happened that this conference fell on a week that he was off work because where he worked, they would do like a shutdown once a year, twice a year. And so it was during that week that they were shut down. And I'm like, okay, perfect. I don't have to get additional childcare for my son. He can stay home. I can go do my conference because we weren't divorced yet at this point. This was right before I got out. So I, I, I was going to do that. And he said, you know, no, you know, you're a terrible mother. You would leave your child to go for whatever. It was like five days for this conference to do the service project. It was literally in the ninth ward of New Orleans doing um, like restoration stuff in parks after Hurricane Katrina. I don't even know what he thought I was doing. I was... <laughs> You weren't going on like an all-inclusive vacation or something. You're going to brunch with your girlfriends. It was a fun trip. I mean, we had a lot of fun. So I can't say that it didn't also feel like a vacation, but mostly because I got away from him. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. (laughs) So he threw a fit, you know, I'm abusive, terrible mom. I'm leaving my kid for a week. And so when I got back, I found out that he had his parents who knew all of this, they knew all these stories, took him 500 miles away to buy that motorcycle while I was gone. (laughs) And, you know, it was such a God thing because like I said, I, I couldn't handle anymore. And I didn't want there to be any more situations that would reel me back in because that's, you know, that happens so many times when you're trying to get out. And of course, as soon as I got back, he's like, yeah, I'm changed. He bought me a ring. Like he never bought me any, you know, he bought me a ring. Like I've changed. Come to find out while I was gone, you know, of course he got the motorcycle and all that. But um, I got the letter in the mail that I'd been waiting for that my apartment was ready. I had been on a waiting list for income-based apartment for six months. And oh my goodness. 
it came in while I was gone. He got the letter and I was so panicked because I thought for sure he would take all of our money or something because I would figured out a way I could like split some of our money and I could get, you know, I had a whole, it took me six months to get this plan in secret to get out safely. And I was able to tell him that it, I had done a project for social work school and I had I had to fill out an application and I was doing some, a project and that's what that letter was for. It wasn't, it wasn't real. It was real. I totally lied. It was funny because as soon as I got back, of course he tried the honeymoon stuff and they really ramped up all the tactics to keep me there. And I got out and this was totally a God thing too. From start to finish, the divorce was like three days. Whoa. From the moment I walked in the office, we signed the paperwork. I think he thought in his head that if he went along with it, like acting like he was going to go along with the divorce, that I would back out. And I did call your bluff or something. Yes, exactly. And so he, you know, he even went to the divorce, you know, the meeting and we split our things. And in his mind, I think he thought that I would back out and I didn't. I signed the paperwork and then the guy was like, okay, it'll be done in like three days. <laughs> and it was three days. That's start unheard of. It is. And I, I have no explanation. I literally, I have so many stories of things I have no explanation for. Though. <laughs> like It was a literal miracle. It, it was amazing. And then, you know, within a couple of weeks, I got into my apartment and I'd already, of course, I'd been planning for six months. So I had I had it all set up. It was, I don't want to say an easy transition, but as smooth as it could have been, given the situation, aside from the stalking that happened right after, because we lived on the same street, but I didn't have any other place to live. Where I was living, there was literally 800 people in this town. So... <laughs> Anywhere would have been anywhere was close. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And meanwhile, you're going to school full time. You've got this AmeriCorps thing. You've got your son. Mm -hmm. You're financially independent, basically. I mean, take care of yourself and your son. Yep. And dealing with the aftermath of everything. I mean, yeah, I guess that was as smooth as maybe it could have been, but it doesn't mean that that was easy by any means. Yeah. And I went on a tangent and I totally forgot about the scripture. Yeah, let's, um, let's hear that. It's uh, in Malachi and it's the scripture that a lot of people use to say God hates divorce. And of course, they'll conveniently use it against women trying to get out of unsafe situations and men too. But when I say women, I say that because statistically it is a lot more women than men. Right. But it says... For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. It covers one's garments with violence. And then he talks about, therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And in the context, it's talking about not dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. So Mm. it... When I read that scripture, you know, I'm trying to get out. Of course, I'm in this spiritually abusive situation, too, being told that divorce is a sin. And I'm new in my faith. You know, I'm like two, I guess at that point, I was like two years in my faith. And I was terrified. I was making God mad because I didn't want to stick it out and keep praying for my husband in hopes he would get better. And one day I was praying and not like 
God talked audibly, but you know how like not just even Christians, but all all spirituality, all all religions, you know, you can have experiences where you can feel in your spirit, you just feel something, whether that be a scripture or, you know, somebody showing you something or telling you something or whatever that may be. And in my situation, I was just praying and I just felt like God said, I hate divorce, but I love you more. This marriage is killing you. And every single day that you're in this abuse, you are hating this man. And rightfully so, because he's harming you and he's harming your child. And this is going to be more detrimental in the long run in your relationship with God than than it is if you just get out and then, you know, get your healing and start on that process. When I realized that it was like the light bulb went off and I thought, I can't stay in this abuse at the expense of myself, mentally, physically, spiritually, any longer. And not just me, but also at the time, my two-year-old. And that was the thing too, that really helped me get out. Now, conveniently, it's funny because as soon as I do get out, the narrative that gets sent out to the world is that I cheated. Because he that had was, to have some victim flag to yeah. wave or something to so, explain it away. <laughs> that I cheated. So then it was biblical because he was cheated on. I did not cheat. It's funny because I, of course, you know, when you're in, I think that a lot of women in these situations will reach out for validation from others. And sometimes others of the opposite sex because they're desperate to find a way out. And they're desperate for feedback and they want people to essentially save them, get them out. And so I did have multiple opportunities within that five-year period. And and in some regards, I was hoping for that. And I didn't follow through with it, of course. I Even in that couple of weeks before I left, I had someone who was who was interested in me and, and I said, it's funny because this was 11 years ago and I found the message the other day because I'd gotten a Facebook message and it wasn't even from the guy. It was from like someone had hacked his account or something. And I didn't even have this guy on Facebook for years. And somehow, anyways, it was really weird. And so I could literally see our conversation from 11 years ago. And this guy you know, was trying to hit on me. And, and I literally said in the message, this was like right before the the divorce, Hey, I know people at school, because this was a college friend, people at school are well aware that I'm you know, working on getting out of this marriage in the next couple of weeks, I'll be officially moved out, but I am still technically married. So I would ask that you respect that and don't talk to me like this again. I was pretty aggravated that that was the message that got spun around was that I cheated when I was clearly not cheating. Oh, I can't imagine. And in a small town, I'm sorry, you had to go through that. I'm still blown away by that revelation that you had when you felt God showed you, yeah, I hate divorce, but I love you more. Yes. That I think encapsulates his heart. If we only fully understood those of us that share the same faith that have a relationship with God, if we fully understood his heart for us, it would change everything. And I think it also speaks to what's the phrase, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Yes. There's so much more freedom 
in life when we understand him and his heart versus the black and white letter of the law. You know, mm-hmm. the Pharisees knew the law backwards and forwards. And Jesus yes. pretty much rejected them. Yes. You know, it's not a it's about the spirit behind it. And the spirit behind this in his case was that God wanted you out. He wanted you safe and he wanted you flourishing and same with your son. And he'll deal with your ex accordingly. Yes. You know, that's that's a separate scenario. But your experience there is so like I had goosebumps when you mentioned it. I just thought, oh, my goodness, the number of people that need to hear that and need it to sink down deep into their heart that could change thousands of lives. Yeah. And the proof is in, you know, like they say in in the church, the fruit of the spirit, the way that I've been able to, and I don't mean this in a prideful way, but the way that I've been able to flourish since I got out, I got bachelor's degree. I got a master's degree. I got all kinds of advanced trainings and therapies that now I can help women and kids in the exact situations that I went through. I remarried to an amazing loving man. That could be a podcast in itself, all the miracles that happened that brought us together because I was terrified to date and remarry after what I went through. And so God made it very clear who he had in mind. (laughs) You know, I had another child. Now he's going to be five, like two weeks from now. Abraham, he's amazing. I've traveled the country and even the world and I moved states twice. I'm actually a thousand miles away from where I was, which is is amazing. I've owned a business and I've really, truly flourished when I got out. I got to be the person that I know that I am still becoming too every day. The person that I know that God had in mind. I couldn't have done that in that restricting, abusive environment. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What came to mind was, it might be hard to to sum this up, but the differences now in your relationship and just your life and your mindset and your outlook versus back during that time, what are some differences that have been very healing to your heart to come home to and feel now that you have the black and white contrast of your past experience and where you are now and the freedom you have now? I actually have a story on that. It's just popped up in my head. I think you had mentioned, you know, that God redeems everything. It's so cool because throughout my marriage, and we've been married now uh, eight years. And um, it's amazing because I keep having these experiences in my current marriage that mirror experiences in my previous marriage, except it's like in a healthy way. This is just a random, very random tidbit, but I love heavy metal now. That is not, obviously, I don't look like someone who does. Nope, that's why I'm laughing. I love it. Imagine that. (laughs) Now, I, you know, when I met my ex-husband, that was one of the things that we bonded over was that we liked a lot of the same music. And at that time, I wasn't a Christian. I, I was just not at all the same person I am today. And I don't have anything against, I like I said, I love heavy metal, but... There was a darker type of music that I was listening to then. And we bonded over that. And he liked it too. You know, he we listened to the same bands. But then quickly into the marriage, it became a thing of like, I was the heathen. I was going to hell because I listened to this music. And it's like, dude, you listen to the same music. What? 
And um, it's so cool because, you know, when I became a Christian, I had this spiritual awakening and I did stop listening to really dark music, but I'm still the same person. Like my personality didn't change and I still love guitar solos and I love double bass drums and (laughs) that didn't change. And so I had a really hard time and I'm also a musician too. I sing and I play piano. So I had a really hard time going from heavy metal to gospel and not just like I'm talking like the same four chords over and over again with just piano and guitar wasn't enough for you no no oh I'm talking I'm not talking I'm talking like gaithers not even oh you're okay I love the gaithers but no I mean like hymns they thought contemporary Christian music was a sin I literally, when I went in one day and sang a Casting Crowns song, it was like, I was like a rebel. Oh, God Uh, forbid. Yeah. yeah. Or like need to breathe when they really like. So (laughs) that gives you an idea of that culture shock and the difference. So my personality didn't change. And so I wanted to find some positive metal music or heavy music or Christian metal music, which does exist. Mm -hmm. I went on this journey of trying to find that. And it's funny because that redemption story. So a few months ago, one of my friends, a male friend, one of my favorite Christian heavy metal bands was going to be in concert nearby. And he's like, hey, let's go. And I'm like, yes. Now my husband, my current husband hates metal. He loves, we listen to worship together, but he's like a Dave Matthews band sort of type. Dave Matthews band's good, but. I'm like, sweet, I have a friend I can go to this concert with. And then, of course, you know, the deprogramming comes in my head because I'm like, oh, is this a sin? Can I go to this concert? Like, is this okay? Like, I'm going with a male and it's metal. And like, you know, I'm like, God, is this okay? Checking a lot of evil boxes here real quick. You know, I just felt like, no, you got to go. This is so such a redemption thing. So I went and it was amazing. And I had one of the bands kind of did this 10 minute, kind of almost like a preaching. I literally was crying in the audience as I'm hearing this metal band preaching about Jesus. And I'm just bawling my eyes out like, I love God. Like, I love this place. I found my people. These are my people. Yeah. Redemption. It was so redemption. And the fact that my husband was on board with it, like, yeah, go, go with your male friend. That is so sweet. And that's a redemption because, you know, in my first marriage, if I would have thought about going anywhere with a male friend, oh my gosh, that would have been really bad. So many stories just like that throughout this marriage that I could point to where it's just a, a redemption. I'm so glad that you chose to share that fact about yourself in particular, because as professional as you come across and put together on screen and having seen your beautiful, bright, airy Instagram with your gorgeous family, and then hearing that you're into heavy metal, I just thought, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I think that makes it even better. I love that God is so detailed and he knows that about you and was like, yep, we're going to make this right for you too. Even down to the little things, you know? The little details. Yes. I'm so, so happy to hear that. Thank you for also being willing to kind of switch gears a little bit and go down that personal route because it's so rich. There's so much more. I'm now kind of trying not to plan future podcast conversations already because there's so many other things that I want to 
go into detail with you, but I also want to respect your time. And so thank you very, very much. And if people would like to reach out to you and maybe get some resources or get in touch, especially if they live nearby, where would you like people to come find you and contact you? I would just say my website, askcclc.com. That's my business. I'm currently only doing EMDR consultation through that business, but I do have on that website, a link to my book and my blog. So if you want additional resources, you can find it on there. I didn't realize you wrote a book. What's it called? It's actually a kid's book. It's a coloring book. It's called The Adventures of Hugglebottom Toad. Now, that was my son's nickname is Hugglebottom Toad from my older son, from my husband. Um, it was just a nickname he gave him. I, it doesn't, I don't know. It has no meaning other than just a cute nickname. And it's a. It's called Hugglebottom and the Stray Pup. And it's a children's explanation of trauma. So basically it's a coloring book for kids that it goes through and explains what trauma looks like and the symptoms of trauma in a kid-friendly language. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It's on Amazon. And I wrote it for, you know, it's a great therapy book that therapists can use with kids to explain trauma to kids, but it's also got an underlying foster care adoption theme. So it's a good book to use because we did, my husband and I did foster care too. So we had to have a way to explain foster care adoption trauma to my son who's now a teenager. And so it, it kind of has that underlying theme. So it's a good resource too, to educate the bio kids on what they might expect seeing trauma in other kids too. Wow. I'm so excited to get that out to people. Thank you. No problem. I really, really appreciate your time. Learning more about Joanna as a person was really stinking fun. I hope you enjoyed her as much as I did and that you'll find her online at askccllc.com. Whether or not she's currently accepting clients, her website is full of resources for mental, physical, and spiritual health. You will also find her children's book there under the shop menu. Now, if you are a licensed marriage and family therapist, clinical social worker, or psychologist, and would be interested in sharing your wisdom and experience on my podcast, please email me at spaceandpurpose at gmail.com. I would be so excited to talk with you. Thank you for being here, for subscribing, and for coming along with me as I learn the world of podcasting and this community takes shape. I have so many incredible stories coming next that honestly, I'm having a hard time waiting each week to share the next one with you. If you found value in these conversations and you haven't already left a review, it would mean the world if you took a quick moment to write one or just share this with a friend who would appreciate it. And if you found this episode to be impactful, post about it on Instagram and tag me at space and purpose. I would love to hear from you. 